Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to We Have a Take, the What Podcast, because we have a take and so can you. I'm Tara, and once again, my co-host Cassie is not available with us tonight, but we are really, really hoping she is going to be back with us next week. And if you've got them and you want to send out good thoughts into the universe for her, I know that she would really appreciate them. She can't wait to get back on the show. Um, and while she is gone, I have brought in another co-host, somebody who's going to be on here for the first time. I am excited to introduce Devon Pouncey. Devon, welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be joining you here. It's, it's always fun to be able to join people on their platforms because I'm usually hosting a podcast or doing stuff like that. So I, I get amped to be able to like relax and let somebody else drive the show. <laughs> I can totally relate to that too. Yeah. Somebody asked me, I'm like, yes, I want to be on. So I can yeah, like weekly relax. I'm reaching out for guests. I, I host two different podcasts, so I'm always contacting other folks to, you know, to be a guest on, on my platform. So it's dope to be on yours. Right on. Well, let's tell folks about you. I've got you written down as the uh, host of the Wake Up and Win podcast, which is a podcast I just discovered a couple months ago. It's awesome. Um, and also PSU Vikings men's basketball analyst. And I understand you got a big game tomorrow night. So yeah, glad I got you on. So uh, welcome. Super glad to have you. I wonder if you could just Oh, oh my gosh, I almost forgot our icebreaker. Cassidy, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, to get us going, because usually, you know, sometimes we like to ease into things, but you and I obviously have all kinds of stuff to talk about. Um, yeah. But one thing we like to do is start off by uh, talking about a favorite sports memory that you shared with someone. One of the things that Cassidy left us with the last time she was on the podcast was to remind people that to share these shared moments with people because you never know how long they're going to be around. So what do you have? Yeah, so I always have to say my my biggest sports moment that I shared with somebody um, – I grew up in the Bay Area and I used to, oh, I still am an Oakland A's fan, an Oakland Athletics fan. And so, uh, I grew up going to plenty of A's games and I always wanted to catch a foul ball and it just never happened. Um, and then it so worked out that I was playing, I mean, I was at the game with my dad, me and my dad were there and I was able to catch my first foul ball. I was about eight, nine years old. Um, but the dope part wasn't that I just caught the foul ball. The dope part was that after the game, my dad got these tickets through his job. It was Jason Giambi. Some people may remember the Giambi brothers who used to play back in those days. And I was actually able to go. He was my favorite player on the team. That was back when they had Miguel Tejada. Um, I think they might have had Zito. That was before Zito was with the Giants. They had a pretty good team back then. Um and yeah, so I actually got to meet Jason Giambi after that game and get the ball signed. And it was just a moment that I'll forever cherish with my dad because it's still to this day the only foul ball I've ever caught. And I've been to a lot of, like I said, between the A's and then we still had the Giants out there as well. Um, I'll never, ever forget that for some strange reason. I got a lot of dope moments covering the sport as well or just covering sports in general, but um Having that moment with my dad, I'll never forget. Oh, that's such a great memory. I love it. Thank you so much <laughs> for sharing that. That's no funny. problem. I was asking my husband uh, if he what what came off the top of his head if uh, shared moments that he and I have had, and uh, you know we've shared a lot. We've been together a long time, been to a lot of games together, especially Blazer games. But the first thing that popped into his head, which reminds me of your story, is that we went to a duck game and he caught. Um, a, like a point after try ball, it landed like right in his lap. Yeah. And we were sitting in the end zone and he was thrilled. <laughs> he just thought it was the most exciting thing ever. And so then he threw it back. And then like, you know, a couple plays later or, you know, next quarter or whatever, they did it again and he caught another one. He was, he just thought he was in heaven. He thought that was like the greatest thing that had ever happened. And I was like, I'm pretty sure whoever sits in this seat. Yeah. He lands in the top line. But go you. That's a Go you. <laughs> All the things we get excited over, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, he was 
so excited. So yeah, I've not, I've not pointed that out to him yet. Yeah, no, that's super dope though. That's super dope. Like I said, it, it's nothing like being in those stands and the unexpected happening. And that's whether it be obviously from the product or on the field or on the court or whatever sporting adventure at, or like I said, something happening just in your interaction as being a fan and being around other fans and things of that sort of like, Folks get amped up about that kind of stuff. So yeah, no, that's super cool. Well, <laughs> you said that you, uh, you, you also had some from covering the teams. Do you have, do you have one to share? Oh yeah. Um, well, it was one of the funnest was when Damian Lillard, this was in 2017, I want to say the 2017, 18 season. Um, seeing Damian Lillard knock down a game winning three uh, against the Lakers. Oh. Um, it was a record. Regular season game, obviously he's got bigger, yeah, he's got bigger game winning moments than that, but I want to say this was like, um, the anticipation was high because this was Lonzo Ball's rookie year, and I think people in Portland were more excited and wondering if LeVar Ball was going to show up to that game. I don't remember him coming to that game at all, but like, Everybody, you know, in the sports media landscape here in Portland, um, were wondering if we were going to get an appearance from LeVar Ball, but, um, just the excitement, you know, and just how loud it got in that arena when Damian Lillard hit that signature step back three pointer. It, it was definitely one of the funnest moments I've covered it. I actually recorded it and in recording it, like I'm in press row. So when you're in press row, you got to be awesome buttoned up to the top suit and tie you you know you got you can't cheer you can't be biased in regards to what's happening on the floor and I'm not even really a Blazers fan per se um just because I didn't grow up in Portland but you know obviously covering the team and being from the Bay Area I definitely pull for Dan because he's from the Bay too but in the video you know I recorded it from press row and when he hit it I caught myself reacting out loud as if I was just a casual fan um and so when I like posted the video up on Twitter I definitely had people calling me out for cheering in press row but <laughs> but I didn't mind it like it, it was it was you know it was more comedic to me because you could hear me cheer and then catch myself cheering because I wasn't supposed to be you know what I'm saying so um, that was probably my favorite moment covering any game because I certainly got caught up, um, you know, in the action just as everybody else did, just being excited with what's going on within the sport that we all love. That's right. Damien will do that to you, I guess. He will. <laughs> well, He's got it like that. <laughs> let's back up and uh, tell folks a little bit about you. Um, if you could introduce yourself and tell us about, like, your interaction or your uh, relationship with basketball and, and why you're so into basketball. Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, growing up, I, I was a big Kobe Bryant fan. Uh, like I said, I grew up in California, although I only got to see Kobe Bryant play once live in person. It was on my 18th birthday, um, and they played at, at, at Oracle Arena against the Golden State Warriors. And interestingly enough, my coach, my high school basketball coach at the time was Alvin Addles III. So Alvin Addles' father, Al Addles Jr., was – until Steve Kerr, the only coach to win a championship with the Golden State Warriors back in the 70s. And so, you know, their, their, their family is legendary within the Warriors community. Um, you know, obviously with the accolades his dad has had, they've got like a Philly cheesesteak shop still in the arena. Uh, well, I don't know if what's the case in Chase Center just because we haven't seen that yet, but at Oracle, at least that was the case. But, no, nah, just growing up, you know, I, I was always playing basketball. I had an older brother who played all three sports, and I grew up playing all three sports as well. Um, and I don't know, I just finally got to that cross worlds when I was like in seventh grade and deciding like what I really wanted to do because I was playing three sports, but and I was pretty good in all of them, but I had gotten introduced to like some pretty high level AAU basketball. So I couldn't do both of playing AAU basketball and playing baseball during the summer. And I just kind of chose up and said, you know what? I want to stick with basketball. I, I have more fun playing hoop. And I, I love the team that I was playing for. We were a really good competitive team. Um, we got to travel a lot. So that helps. And from there, basketball has been the sport that I stuck with. And I was able to play, you know, through college and, you know, at the NCAA level at Pacific University. 
And then literally I have never taken a break from the sport because the following year, you know, uh, of me playing my senior season at Pacific, I started covering basketball. So I really don't remember life without basketball because I started playing organized ball in like the third grade. So it, it's just a sport that stuck with me and that I just had the most fun playing. And uh, I don't regret the decision of not playing baseball anymore, not playing football anymore, because I've been able to make super dope memories within the sport of basketball on the court and off the court, off the court, great relationships. And like I said, obviously still covering it now to this day. When did you uh, start thinking that you maybe wanted to cover it for a living or do it in your future when you were done playing? Um, it actually wasn't until I got to Pacific. Um, so I was a junior college transfer. I went to Diablo Valley College in the Bay Area, which is one of the better known basketball JUCOs in, in California. I played for a Hall of Fame coach. His name is Steve Coach Amiglio. And I, when I was there, I was a kinesiology major. And part of it was because I was undecided in regards to what it was that I wanted to do. And then, um, but I still needed to obviously get credits to transfer to a four year and kind of figure it out from there. So once I got to Pacific, I remember like my first meeting with my advisor, like a week before classes started, I was speaking to her and I was like, you know, I majored in kinesiology at the JUCO level, which was exercise science there. And I'm like, I really don't want to do that. I wasn't really interested in it. I just kind of did what I had to do to get by. And so she asked me what it was that I wanted to do. And I said, I want to try to go the media route. So I ended up majoring in general media and getting my bachelor's in general media from Pacific. And at the time, I landed an internship with John Canzano, the ball face truth, for his radio show. And I didn't even know who Canzano was just because I was a California boy and, and really didn't know too much about the market. And from day one, I was just absolutely impressed by the work that John Canzano was doing and, you know, fortunate enough that, that he was willing to accept me as one of his interns. And that summer, you know, I worked in that radio station with John Canzano three or four days a week for that entire summer. And from there, it was like I was all in, you know, and wanting to do sports radio. And I eventually landed a job with 750 The Game. And the story goes on and on. But as far as really having a love for wanting to be in sports media, I would have to say Canzano played a huge role in that because I just had a great experience interning for him. I, I'm a lifelong Portlander and have been aware of, listened to, read John Canzano for years and years. And, yeah. <laughs> and I don't think it's a surprise to uh, have me say that he can be somewhat polarizing figure. I, I think yeah. he likes to talk about provocative things and, and say things to uh, really get people talking. I'm wondering if you could tell us, like, what you what are some of the things that you learned from uh, working with him? Yeah, well, well, the first thing was just to be myself um, because obviously, you know, interning for him and as people started to get to know me, as he started to have me on air a bit more, as I started to cover games, you know, and, and people just got to know me for who I was, a lot of people sort of connected me to Kenzano and I was fine with that. Um, but in that, you know, obviously I heard – a lot of the stuff that even you said, he was polarizing, he's this, he doesn't know what he's talking about, he's off the wall. I, I just heard so many different things about him, man. I never had to, like, run it back to him because he had taught me initially, like, be yourself. Don't waver for anybody. He's like, your mind can change. If your mind changes, that one that's one thing. If you discover or you learn something, that's one thing. But don't try to necessarily appease a base. Don't try to, and especially if it messes with the integrity of your work. So um, for me, just going in and being myself and at the time, you know, I'm, I'm realizing there's not a lot of people that look like me in this space. So him instilling that confidence in me to be myself in a space where there aren't many people that look like me, 
Um, I, I've really carried that with me just as I've navigated through, you know, creating content within the media landscape. And it's definitely like helped me in being able to sustain and, and, and stay on the path that I want to rather than maybe what people think I should be on for whatever reason they may think it. So yeah, just seeing how he stayed, you know, he was steadfast in his approach when it came to all that was super dope. And, and I definitely carried that along with me. Right on. Well, tell us about Wake Up and Win. How did you, uh, how did you come to have that as a podcast? Yeah. Well, um, when I was in college, I had a professor by the name of Dr. Jules Boykoff and Dr. Boykoff, um, he's just somebody that I admire and I really look up to. And I didn't initially as I started, you know, taking his courses, but, um, it was like a politics in the media class. And, you know, we kind of talked about different stuff like framing and just all that kind of stuff that you learn in that course. And at the end of the year, we had to do a project. It was like, you know, our, our final, our end of the year final. And we had to discuss, I mean, and we had to basically do it on whatever subject we wanted, but it had to be how that subject was basically framed by the mainstream media during a particular time period. So I chose Marshawn Lynch and Richard Sherman. And I, the two years that the Seattle Seahawks went to the Super Bowl back to back, I basically did this project on how they were framed, um, how they were looked at. Obviously we know Marshawn was looked at as somebody who didn't say much at all because he didn't want to really talk or interact and engage with the media. And then Sherm, we know he can go off at the mouth and just, kind of have diarrhea at the mouth and keep going and going. And so it was interesting, although they played two different roles in regards to how vocal Sherm was and how little Marshawn had to say, they were framed in the same ways and a lot of this coverage during that time period. And so um, the project just ended up being super, uh, super interesting. I got great engagement from like the classmates when I had to present on it and from there, you know, afterwards, uh, Dr. Jules Boykoff came and talked to me after class and was like, hey, man, you know, I have a, a politics and sports class that I teach as well. Me not knowing he's one of the biggest voices when it comes to the politics in the Olympics. And so um, from there, you know, he had a couple of guests come speak in our classroom. Two of them that sticks with me in particular is uh, Shireen Ahmed from Toronto, Canada, and Jessica Luther, she's from Austin, Texas, um, two dynamite sports journals. Um, and I just was really interested in what it was that they had to say. And I challenged them in some ways with what it was that they had to say. And I just kind of realized, you know, this sports and politics intersection is just something I'm really, really into. And from there, you know, as I kind of got into the world of radio and interning and ultimately trying to get my own show, that was my pitch of a show is to have a show that focused on that intersection based on the experiences I had with Dr. Boykoff and the politics and sports class and Shireen and Jess as well. So um once it was time for me to just get it started and get it off the ground, that was the direction that I decided to go with the podcast. And, you know, I I'm still going that direction with the podcast today. So it was pretty cool. Oh my gosh, so many things to react to in that story. Uh, <laughs> a, a really easy short thing to say is I love the Burn It All Down podcast with, of course, Shireen and Jessica yeah, Luther among absolutely. the Absolutely. They, I, that, I mean, that's you. the best, the best sports feminist podcast in the land by far. By far. <laughs> I just, I just love what they do. Um, but yeah, it's so, I feel like it's so important. I don't know if it's any more important today than it was a year ago than it was 10 years ago. I think sports and politics have, I guess, have probably always been super important and super interrelated. But I really felt that, you know, during the off season, when we had time to really think about things, when there was no sports going on and we were like faced with this, you know, turning point in our country. I don't know if it's a turning point, but, you know, this reckoning in our country. Um, you know, I, I did a lot of, uh, thinking myself. I, I still don't, um, you know, have a solution, but one of the things I've thought all along is that sports is so important because it's something that we unite around often and often it's yeah. the only thing that we share or right. it's yeah, a starting it's, it's, point. 
Yeah, it's like it's like one of the most universal things in the world. You know, obviously it's categorized just like anything else, like music. But to me, like sports is such a common ground for people that come from so many different backgrounds that like to not talk about politics within that space to me would be somewhat of a disservice, honestly, just because this is a place where I can meet somebody from somewhere else and get to know them as a person based on the activity within the sport. And now that I'm interested in this person based on what we do in sports and us playing sports and having a game chemistry as teammates and just having these common goals. Now I begin to kind of dig deeper into who the man is beside me going to battle, you know, when we go out there and compete. And so I think it would be an absolute disservice to sports to not intersect politics in whatever way possible, because it's so much to learn and unpack from it. Uh, I've been, I've really been thinking, you know, in terms of like, making a making a stand you know with sports you know over the summer um there were some you know uh nba players you know it was a, for a lot of people it was a chance for them to make a stand for them to speak about something that meant a lot to them you know wearing the the of things on their jerseys i've really been wrestling lately about whether or not i can actually support the nba <laughs> moving forward because of, i'm so worried about sending the players in to play in these really? circumstances. I I wrestle with that all yeah. the time. It scares me for them. But I also know that like, you know, they want to make a living and that this is what they do. This I don't know. D- does that like do you wrestle with that at all or do you have a a thought on that? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that it's, uh, you know, I, I'm scared for them as well. <laughs> um, I, I'm definitely, oh, it went in and out. Sorry about that. Um, I'm definitely scared for them. Like, I definitely think it's a dangerous thing. Okay, well, we had a very uh, 2020 uh, mishap there with the, <laughs> the bandwidth problem. <laughs> One of the, the side um, little – I don't want to say perks because there's nothing that's a perk in this pandemic. But one of the things that I have come to uh, understand better in the last nine months is just being more forgiving about – technical issues like yeah, <laughs> i've always sure. had technical issues and it always like freaked me out and now i'm like yeah whatever yeah yeah no it's it, it, yeah i'm so used to it i really don't like it doesn't phase me in the slightest <laughs> like I, i'm used to it i mean i dj a bit like i do so many different things with tech stuff that it doesn't bother me at all. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Well, thank you very much for your patience. But hey, let's talk. Uh, let's turn and talk about some blazers for a little while. Um, now, you said that you grew up in the Bay Area, but you are a Kobe Bryant fan. Does that mean you were a Laker fan, or were you also a Golden State fan? Where did your did you have an allegiance? Yeah, um, I kind of got a funny story around that too. Uh, growing up, I was definitely a Laker fan. Like I said. It was Kobe till the death with me. Um, and I don't, I don't even know why I said that because he passed, but you know, I, I repped hard for Kobe Bryant for sure. And I, I still consider him like the greatest of all time. I know everybody picks Jordan and LeBron and they have all these conversations where they leave Kobe's name out of it a bit too much for me, but it is what it is. I'll, I'll continue to rep for him on that front. Um, so growing up, I was a Laker fan, but then, uh, Funny story, I started dating a girl who was a Warriors dancer. And at the time when I met her, yeah, yeah, plot twist. (laughs) At the the time when I met her, I didn't know that she was a Warriors dancer. So, like, when we first met up, we connected. We met in, like, San Francisco, and she was like, hey – you want to go to this Warriors game with me? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I love basketball. I love hoop. And I was playing junior college ball at the time. And me not realizing that she was a dancer, I show up to her house to pick her up to go to 
the Oracle Arena and she comes out decked out full warriors dancer gear on and I'm like okay what have I got myself into here <laughs> so long story short long story short that night was the night when LeBron James he was playing on the heat at the time he hit a game winning three pointer over Iguodala and he did his little signature where he pats his chest and he's like pumping his hands down when he hits these game winners and so, uh, but I also absolutely fell in love with Stephen Clay that night. And I ended up going to games with her for the remainder of the year. I might as well have been a season ticket holder because, you know, whenever she got complimentary tickets, like she just gave them right to me. And so I really, really became a fan of Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. And this is when Mark Jackson was still their coach. And I knew they had success in the very near future i didn't know that they were going to end up being champions the following year but um just that entire year going and seeing them play as frequently as i did i definitely became a huge fan a huge fan of those guys some may call it bandwagon but hey not everybody had the access that i had to be able to see how spectacular they were up close and personal as often as i did so um, I definitely still pull for those guys and, you know, me being from the Bay area, it makes it a little bit easy. I know everybody hates the Lakers. So, you know, that's, that's tough in itself, but being from the Bay and, you know, seeing the success that those two have had has been super dope to me because I feel like I was a part of it just before they started actually, you know, winning championships and having the success to the championship and the MVP magnitude. So, um, you know, Steph is my favorite player in the league today. Kobe is my favorite player of all time. And, you know, I, I kind of still pull for the Lakers. I pull for the Warriors. But I would rather see Steph Curry go out there and win because, you know, I love him that much as a player. Same goes with Klay Thompson than a LeBron-led Laker team, if we're being honest. Well, pretty soon you'll be able to say that you'll remember this is the night that you switched to be your allegiance to the Blazers because we're going to talk about the Blazers <laughs> and you're going to remember. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> so how long have you really been uh covering and paying attention to the Blazers and what do you, how do you characterize them as somebody who like hasn't been a lifelong fan? What have been some of the things that have stuck uh, stuck out about the team to you? Yeah, so I started covering them, you know, while I was interning back in 2016. So um, I started interning right around the NBA playoffs. So I, I got to, you know, cover a bit of them then. And then obviously, you know, we've had crazy off seasons and so, you know, getting to really cover them throughout that offseason, and then it's just been me covering them ever since, you know, in, in one way or another. But, you know, obviously what sticks out to me is Dame. And, you know, I really want to see Damian Lillard get a championship. I would love to see him get it here in Portland just because of how solid of a person he is. Forget what he can do on the court. We all know he's special in that realm, but he's just so solid of a person, and he's so loyal to this city. And in an area, in an era where loyalty isn't necessarily the popular thing anymore, and I would even go as far as saying rightfully so, seeing Dame still stick to his guns and really wanting to win in this city is just absolutely incredible because I know he's had so many more opportunities presented to him that 99% of the league probably would have acted on and he didn't budge and still hasn't budged. So, um, just seeing, you know, what he's been able to do over the course of his career has been absolutely special. And I really want to see him get to that point where, you know, this Blazers team is really a contender to be able to go out there and win a title. I don't think we've really seen that yet. Even the year they went to the conference finals, I think it was a bit of a shock more so than it was like, oh, this Blazers team is for real. And part of that is why Dame always has a chip on his shoulder coming into each season. But, I just want to see them take that next step. And I think they have potential pieces in place to make that happen right now, but certain things have got to happen for that to actually be a real conversation, in my opinion. So, like, what kinds of things do you think need to would need to happen for them to take the next step? 
Well, well, first things first is, and I don't know if this is a hot take or not, but it's definitely a take. I, I think I think the Blazers need a second All Star, and the way their roster is constructed right now, we all know Dame's been the number one option, and CJ's been the number two option. But I don't see CJ ever really cracking the code and becoming an All Star in this league. Um, I think the only way that Dame plays with a second All Star is if Nurk comes out and consistently puts up the numbers in the production that we saw him do when he was playing at his best in the bubble. If Nurk can do that consistently night in and night out and obviously stay healthy, I think Nurk is the closest thing to to a second all-star that Dame will have played with since he's played with LaMarcus Aldridge. So, you know, while CJ still has to play the role that he's been playing and, you know, have those games where he rubs and be a solid you know, 18 to 20 point per game player, 18 to 22 point per game player. I think it's Nurk that's, that has to have a breakout season and really be a absolute force where you almost can't even deny him being an all-star in this league. And we've seen him have performances where he shows glimpses of that, but it needs to become a night in and night out thing for him. I like that take. Especially since I thought it was going to be a we need to trade CJ start at the beginning. I was like, oh, but you turned it, you pivoted and then no, said, no. you want to see Nurk as an all-star <laughs> and I am all about that. I, I, I want to see Nurk as an all-star. I think that's the closest chance. Like I could have easily went to trade CJ route, but like I said, CJ's been here for a while. We've been hearing that narrative for quite some time and it just hasn't happened yet. I don't want to be the dead horse. Um, but where I do see the potential in this team in a way that could be unexpected is Nurk really showed me glimpses of a top five center in the NBA in the bubble. And that was his first time playing in over a year because he had that nasty game where, you know, he broke his leg and I actually was at that game mm-hmm. and saw it happen live. So yep. for him to come back as, as strong as he did was quite impressive in the bubble. And now that I think, He's but he's been able to knock the rust off of them during that short bubble season that they had, and then had another semi off season to prepare for the upcoming games here in a couple of weeks. I think Nurk is going to have to be the guy that steps up and, and plays that role of a true legitimate All Star this season and going forward. He's right in those prime years where it's time for him to get it done. Okay, I I really like that, and I'm not I can't. I don't like to think on the spot like this because I always leave out somebody, but I'm trying to think about centers in the yeah. West. And obviously, you know, I, I can't say I can't say the word all star and not the other centers in the West. Yeah. Well, when it comes to the other other centers in the West, I mean you have Joker out there in Denver. You have um, Anthony Davis. Anthony Pete. Davis, I think when when the Lakers are in playoff mode, yeah, when playoff he hates playoff to be called Anthony Davis because <laughs> yeah, because we we know we know during the season he likes to play power forward, but when it's time to crack down and win in the playoffs, stick him at center because he's such a matchup problem at that position. Um, so Joker and Anthony Davis for all star purposes, yeah, it's yeah, 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 for all star voting purposes, no, it's Joker, it's Joker, and that's really about it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Embiid is in the East. Um, you know, the, it, yeah, that's really it. There's no other, like, forceful centers in the league in the way that Nurk, I think, has shown himself to be over time. So, yeah, I think that, you know, the, 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 the advantage that the Blazers have of having a presence like Nurk and as Nurk continues to just get in more and more shape and be able to kind of, you know, add things to the palette of his game, I think Nurk is where the advantage is going to be for this Blazers team. If they want any chance at being a true contender, the way the team is currently structured, because I definitely think, you know, Neil O'Shea has been good in the past of being able to kind of get those complimentary pieces here to Portland. But we always talk about how it's tough to get another star to come to Portland. And the closest thing that I see to that would be Yusuf Nurkic.
Okay, I am very excited about your Nurkic as an all-star take, um, but let's pivot and talk about the new players who are, have uh, who are going to be joining the Blazers, or in one case, a returning player. So, in your uh, opinion, uh, what did you think of the Blazers' offseason? Again, I thought the Blazers had a great off uh, offseason in regards to being able to gain some complimentary pieces and being able to keep a complimentary piece intact. Um, obviously in, in that regard, I'm speaking about Mello. Um, and I'll just start with Mello. You know, I think Mello really came out last season and especially in the bubble and proved that he belonged. And I think he can only build on that, especially because he doesn't have to take on the role of being a top scorer on this team. As I mentioned, you got Dame, you got CJ, you got Nurk. So Melo can kind of just come in, get in where he fits in and play his game. And, you know, whatever Melo can give you extra, you're absolutely taking. And I think his confidence has to be sky high coming off the bubble season because he performed really well there. Um, I think the biggest addition, obviously, probably most would agree, is Covington. Um, the Blazers have been needing a two-way wing for quite some time now. Uh, you think back to the last player who I think probably was a legitimate two-way wing that the Blazers have had, and he was more of a three-and-D guy, was Wes Matthews. Um, since then, you know, you had the Aminus, who was more of a defensive guy, uh, Harkless, more of a defensive guy. You had Alan Crabb, who was a shooter, didn't give you much on the defensive side. Evan Turner could defend it, didn't give you much on the offensive side. So this is the first time that I think really since Wes Matthews, even Melo is another example, offensive guy, not going to give you much defensively. So this is the first time I think since Wes Matthews that the Blazers have had a two-way guy, um, somebody who can contribute at a high level on the offensive end, and also you can put him on the best player on the opposing team defensively. And I think that's something the Blazers have really missed from that wing area is 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 having to kind of do too much plug and plugging and placing based on certain guys' skill sets that didn't really translate maybe to the other side of the ball. So I think the Covington pickup was huge. Um, he he gives some addition on, on them being able to shoot the ball as well. He can shoot it. He can get into the rim. He can he can drive it. He can defend. He just gives you multiple things, and it allows Terry Stotts to have a lot more flexibility with the lineups that he wants to put out there because you don't have to tailor it to a specific style of play. You can mix things up a bit to try to do what you can to put your best, to put your team in the best positions to win ultimately. So I think those two were the biggest things that happened for the Blazers is re-signing Melo and finally getting a guy who could play on both sides of the floor that plays on the wing. So it sounds like you think that Robert Covington is going to have like an immediate impact on the team and in his ability to do both play defense and an offense. Is that, would that be fair to say? I mean, if, if Dame's been coming out and talking a lot about winning a championship and if they have aspirations at winning a championship, Covington is going to have to play a pivotal role because there's nothing but space and opportunity at that wing. I mean, like I said, you got Melo, older guy. Trent's younger, and you hope that he can build off what he was able to do in the bubble. But for me personally, you know, I wouldn't necessarily want to depend on Trent if I'm trying to be a champion. You know, I think Trent could be like a cherry on top and an added piece to the puzzle that when he's on the floor, he makes an impact. But over the course of a season, Trent just isn't your guy that you want to be your ideal wing to have to help you get over the hump. So, I think if the Blazers want to be champions, and, and I'm only speaking in championship terms because they've been to the playoffs, what, seven years consecutively, eight years, however many years it's been, that's, that rhetoric is kind of, you know, it's stale. It's getting stale now. We got to start talking and looking towards winning the championship, especially while Dame is still in his prime. So Covington, I think, has a huge load on his shoulders in regards to being able to help this team really compete at the highest of levels in the league. And if he doesn't come out there and show out on both ends of the floor, both ends of the floor, I think, you know, you're having another Blazers make it to the playoff season, but what's next? 
<laughs> I I think I agree with you. He's got a lot on. There's a lot riding on his shoulders. Uh, there's you know, like you said, Blazers have been waiting. Blazer fans have been waiting for a long time for a guy who can do both of these things. And now um, we're hoping that's going to unlock everything that's going <laughs> to that's going to take us to the championship. Now, I happen to be always a fan of the younger players. I love watching okay. the guys develop. Um, so I'm wondering of, you know, some of the younger players on the team, who do you see as, um, most, has the most potential uh, for a long-term impact on the team? Like either including the new guys, you know, Harry Giles, Derek Jones. I consider Derek Jones Jr. a younger player just because age-wise he's younger, even though he might end up starting. But those two, Gary, Anthony, Zach Collins, who do you think has the, um, gonna make the most longest, you know, uh, long-term impact? I, I think it's gonna have to be Anthony Simons. And I think he was a tad bit disappointing in the bubble, if we're being honest, just because, you know, I look at him as a guy as I want to see his trajectory to continue to incline rather than decline and, he didn't give you much, but part of the reason, too, is Damian was so damn spectacular in that bubble, you know, with his performances. It's, it's kind of hard, you know, to, to, to get any shine when you're in his shadow. But um, I think he's got the perfect situation, being able to come in and play behind a guy like Dame. Uh, Dame, being who Dame is, continues to instill confidence in the young players around him. You know, you, you're hearing these conversations where, you know, the Blazers should have went and got another backup point guard. And Dame, being who he is, went to bat for Anthony Simons and said, no, Simons can get the job done. Uh, Stotts, you know, his, his rhetoric on, uh, on Simons aligned with Dame's as well. So, you know, I think Anthony Simons has the athleticism that is needed to be able to play at a all-star level in this league. And, I don't know if the other guys quite have that. Maybe Derrick Jones Jr., but I think we've seen enough of him to know that his game may not necessarily match his athleticism. Doesn't mean he can't be a factor on this team, but he's just not a guy that I could say, like, man, maybe one day Derrick Jones Jr. will be an all-star in the NBA. Anthony Simons is probably the only guy out of the Blazers' young core that I could say if, you know, everything falls into place, you know, in his favor, he has potential to be an all-star based on the type of player he is and the athlete that he is as well. So I think Simons has got to step it up. You know, Collins, I think, will continue to be solid when healthy. But Simons is the guy that I think has the potential that is, is absolutely through the roof. And it's time for him to make that next step and making that potential become a reality with his play and production on the floor. Well, you forgot to talk about my favorite player, who is Gary Trent Jr. And sometimes I wonder if part of the reason that Anthony's season didn't look as good as we'd hoped is because Gary Trent Jr. kind of surprised everybody. Yeah. Him. What, what do you think about that? What do you think about him? I think Gary Trent definitely surprised everybody. And I think Gary Trent found himself in a position where he could be a quality role player and have a long career in the NBA. I still don't quite have faith in Gary Trent cracking that code and becoming an all-star someday. Like, he's not a guy that I look at and is like, oh, yeah, he'll be an all-star one day. I think he's, I think he sort of can be like a, hmm, and I'm more so speaking impact-wise and not like skill set for skill set, but he could be like a J.J. Redick, somebody who you could use on a team, on any team in the league, and somebody who's had a long career and, and continues to still play in the league and can play a, a key role on a team, but isn't just quite the guy with this sky high potential to really be like an all star in this league. I just think that's really tough to do. Um, but I think if Trent builds on what he did in the bubble, certainly he'll be able to play a key role coming off the bench for the Blazers. Um, he adds a little bit more defense, which helps as well. Um, you, you know, you never complain about having guys who can shoot it on your team. But like I said, when it comes to just having that all-star like potential from the young core, for me, it's Simons. But I think Gary Trent has, you know, put himself in position to where he can have a really solid NBA career and whether it be with the Blazers or elsewhere, you know, be impactful on whatever team it is that he plays for. 
I see what you're doing. You're setting it up for the Lakers to come and steal Gary Trent Jr. away <laughs> from the Blazers. And I will, I will Maybe. fight you. <laughs> <laughs> No, so hey. we're going to get together in 10 years and compare how many uh, all-star appearances Gary Trent Jr. and uh, Anthony Simons has. And, hey, and it may be a big, fat, whopping zero between the <laughs> both of them. I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm just more so speaking to the potential. Like, I still have faith in, you know, Anthony Simons' potential to be an elite player in the NBA. Like I said, Gary Trent, good player, solid player, a piece that can translate to several different teams throughout the league, but he just doesn't have that superstar potential to me. I think he does because I think that Gary has um, the the will and desire to beat everybody on defense as well. Like, I think yeah. – you know, even though it was a mismatch, I think that Gary on LeBron during the final or during the playoffs was like the best thing that could have happened. Like I was hoping for that matchup. For who? For who? For Gary. For the oh, experience. No. <laughs> well, no, I mean for the experience. Okay. Okay. I think he learned. So I, I think Gary, I think part of the reason that Gary had such a breakout is that he showed how quick of a learner he is and yeah. he, he's surrounded by guys who wanted him to be successful. So like Damien just like adopts everybody on the team and wants everybody yeah. to be successful. True. Gary's always been an admirer of Carmelo. And so I think having Carmelo on the team was also a boost for him. And then it was just sort of like a snowball effect of when like he picked up one little thing and then he picked up another little thing and then he picked up another little thing and suddenly they're in the playoffs and he's the guy going, let me at LeBron. And like I said, a mismatch, but I think absolutely. That I think it was like I think we're going to see the results of it next season. You know, I'm, I'm interested in seeing how much of a factor the bubble played in some of the performances that we saw from people that we didn't quite expect to see. I.e., Gary Trent. Uh, who else did we see crazy performances? TJ Warren, TJ Warren had some crazy performances. <laughs> yeah. Like those guys, I, I, I'm interested to see that now that guys, there still won't be any fans. So that pressure isn't quite there, but guys will be back traveling. Guys will be back playing on the road. They'll be back, you know, having to, to, to get accustomed to a routine that was absolutely different than the routine they got accustomed to while playing in the bubble where everything was just right there in one central location. Um, I I'm interested to see who from the bubble that has some surprise performances will be able to build on that and allow that to translate into a season that's going to look completely different than what the bubble looked like, essentially. So uh, I, Gary Trent is on that list of guys. Him, Tyler Hero's another one. Like, Hero mm -hmm. played very well <laughs> in the bubble. And, you know, he was, like, at one point in, in one of those series, maybe in the playoffs, averaging, like, 20 points per game. But he's still, like, the same 11-point-per-game guy to me. Obviously, he's got a bright future, very young talent. But I'm just real interested to see – um, some of those guys who broke out in the bubble, if that'll translate now that we're getting to at least a little bit of normalcy in regards to a season. And I'm more so speaking to the element of travel and being back on the road and, and things of that sort. So I'm interested to see if Gary Trent can build off that or if that was just, you know, the bubble was the environment he needed to be able to thrive the way that he did. You can you can write it down in pen. Gary Trent will continue to build on that. Okay, I, I, I believe in him. I believe in him. Yeah, I I just I feel like he has the you know something extra, and that we see it like sort of in his like you know his outfits and his confidence yeah. and all that other stuff that like yeah. he just comes so natural to him. And I think, you know, if you're going to make it to an all-star, you know, unless you have other worldly talent like Kawhi, um, right. it helps a lot if you have the personality and the drive and, you know, just sort of the whole package, your packaging, uh, you know, as well as your, uh, you know, uh, just hunger can yeah. take you a long way if if they all come together just right and 
I, I really don't know that Gary Trent Jr. is going to ever have, be an all-star, but I think it's just, <laughs> it's, yeah, I like to think yeah. that, you no, know. Like I said, I, and like I said, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet my bottom dollar that Anthony Simons would either. I was just totally speaking to just the potential of those guys. And yeah. While yeah. I do think Gary Trent definitely something clicked for him in that bubble. And I hope that he can sustain at least some of that, if not all of it and some, um, I think Anthony Simons is still the guy that I would bank on to be the ultimate star in the NBA. And this is years down the line, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think he's that young talent that, you know, continuing to play behind Dame and really getting to learn from Dame, I think is a once in a lifetime opportunity. And with some of the assets that he does have to his game, alongside being able to learn from Dame in the way that he will be and he he has done up to this point, I think will really pay off for him in the long run. And to think it's right around the corner. It is. And I and I do have a question. I do I have a question for you because it is right around the corner. How are you feeling? I mean we're starting to see some of these teams have COVID cases already. You know, the Blazers yeah. have, have announced they've got guys. Obviously, the Warriors, Draymond, I believe, caught COVID. I mean, mm-hmm. we are starting to hear these announcements that we certainly didn't hear in the bubble where it was a thing of zero COVID cases took place out there. I'm so worried. I'm I'm just absolutely terrified for them, for their families, for like, because it's, it's like, Everybody has personal responsibility, but it also depends on every the personal responsibility of everybody around them and everybody around them right. and everybody around them. And when you just put them out into the world, there's just so many – there's so many things that could go wrong. Um, and as far yeah. as like teams that I trust – you know, probably because I know the Blazers really well and the best, you know, I feel like, you know, in terms of, you know, the players doing everything that's expected of them, I am not worried about them. It's just right. like the world in general that it worries me. What do you think? You know, I think we've seen enough sports where teams are traveling and teams are playing ball and sports are pretty much back, like at the professional level, at least like. Sports are happening and sports are a thing. The thing that has concerned me a little bit was what does this mean for the model that not only the NBA has been under Adam Silver, but kind of the step forward that they took this summer with the social justice climate and guys coming out and, and, you know, being out and active in the streets and protesting and things of that sort. Um, obviously the pandemic being another social issue and, how inventive the NBA was being able to go out there and do this bubble thing and the WNBA as well. I got to make sure to acknowledge them, but unfortunately sometimes the WNBA doesn't necessarily get its credit Mm -hmm. that it may deserve for the things that they do in regards to, you know, taking the charge and showing the world what their professional league should look like and be a model for these other leagues that surround them. The NBA tends to be the league that gets a lot of that credit. So I'm interested in seeing like what well, things kind of fall at the seams for them because they've kind of become known as like the leader in sports leagues throughout the world. Or, you know, will, will we just kind of get accustomed to basketball in ways that we've gotten accustomed to football in ways that we had gotten accustomed to baseball where you have these positive tests happening week in and week out, night in and night out, if you even want to say. But, you know, we understand that people have lives to live. They have families to feed and they're going to go out there and do what they got to do to continue to, you know, take care of themselves, take care of their families and just get the job done, hopefully in the safest way possible. So that's more so what I'm concerned about is the image of the league based on the success that they had off the floor and how they handled the pandemic and also with the social justice climate, having a guy like LeBron James leading the way. I'm just interested to see kind of how they may or may not be attacked by a, the general public or B people that just haven't really appreciated how progressive the league has gotten. And this will be their opportunity to kind of take a jab at the NBA, you know, if guys start catching cases and things of that sort. 
Yeah, I mean, and like, to be honest, I wrestle with it a lot about like, because I see in a lot of ways, you know, I mean, we live in a capitalist society. And so to me, this is such an example of putting profit before people. You know, yeah. like this, the league has to go on. Like we heard that so much before the bubble. The league has to go on. Like, like, does it really like, you know, in the grand scheme of things, does it really? And they were able to like create a controlled environment. So at least the players were safe. And I was kind of grossed out about the fact that they were sending all the players down into this confined space. And we're like, yeah, going to be forced to play for our entertainment. And that was like, really, I was like, I really do not feel great about this, but right. after having watched it and watched the players and just listening so carefully to the players, what they were saying and trying to like, okay, are they okay with it? And then also, you know, I appreciated guys like Kyrie speaking up and saying what he said, right? Yeah. And like people, you know, laugh at him for whatever reason, but I think Kyrie sometimes, you know, he speaks what's true to him and it's not like, I, I think it's important what he says a lot of the times and the fact that he, you know, opted to help pay the WNBA players. But but over and over again, while I, like, admire so much about the league, they'll go and they'll do something that's just so obviously profit-motivated for Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm dealing with some of those same struggles. <laughs> you know, as mentioned earlier, tomorrow night, I'll be on the call for Division One college basketball over at Portland State. And, you know, I'm somebody who am even more so concerned because of the money that those players aren't getting yes. in comparison to the, the money that these professional leagues are getting. And I'm going to be going out there and calling this game. And, you know, while I'm definitely looking forward to it because I literally haven't touched a gym since March of last year, not a rec center, not a, college gym, not an NBA arena, not any of that. I haven't smelled the hardwood since last March. I'm eager to get out there and be on the call tomorrow. And I know, you know, the guys, the players, the the athletics department, the coaches are happy to be able to actually have a season this year. I still kind of play with, you know, the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other, because I feel like I'm going out there and, and in my work, I'm adding to some of the concerns that I've had to progress in my own career as somebody who works in sports media. Um, but the angel in me is, is, is just like elated because, you know, we all that will be in that gym are going to be happy to be in that gym, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know? So it's just interesting, man, because I feel like in one way I'm doing it to progress my career, but in another way, I'm so damn eager to just be out there and be able to call a basketball game because of my pure love of the sport and not really having as much to do with my job. So it, it's interesting, man, because I, I'm one who advocates for college athletes to get paid. I'm one who, who advocates for college athletes just to get equal and fair opportunities. And knowing that that's still not happening, not nearly to the extent majority of us would like to and still being able to go out there and call these games during a pandemic. It's just kind of got me all over the place, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all of us are like that right now, right? We're just, we're, we're so confused. I, I, I know I am, I guess I can't speak for all of us, but I know I'm confused just about a lot of things in general about what's going on in the world and what I'm supposed to feel this day and that day and what day is it anyway it's just it's a very strange time um, yeah but it's been awesome talking to you this has been a, just a really tr uh, just a treat to get to know you and have this conversation i hope we can do it again sometime oh i'm fair game i, I will be glad to come back on here um you know I, i'm super glad that we've gotten to know each other through the infamous Twitter, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, you, you've been somebody who, who's been supporting my podcast and I greatly appreciate you for that. Um, you know, your willingness to promote it and just share with folks that it's a podcast that you like. So I'm somebody that, you know, I'm just glad that I had the opportunity to connect with you via this space, just because this is a space that I'm very passionate about. And that's beyond just my own coverage and my love of sports or your love of sports, but just the podcast space in general is intriguing to me. And I think that it has a really bright future. So I, I'm grateful to be able to come on here and join you. And anytime you need me to come on here, 
I'm a motor mouth. I can talk whenever, <laughs> however, <laughs> it doesn't matter. For me. Well, I, I know you have a lot more stories that we got to, that we got to get out of you, but, uh, we should probably wrap it up for tonight. Do you want to, uh, tell people where they can find you on Twitter and how they can find your podcast and anything else absolutely. that you want to share? <laughs> yeah, for sure. A- absolutely. Um, my, my at is pounce underscore station. Uh, you can just search my name, Devon Pouncey, as well, if that makes things a bit more simple for you. Um, and that's on all platforms. Wake Up and Win with Devon Pouncey. You know, we're a podcast that focuses on the intersection of sports, politics, and culture. We've had some really dope guests recently, and, you know, it's been wide-ranging, so that's been really cool. We had Darrell Wright on recently. That was awesome. um, we had a rap artist named Simba who's, like, in the midst of blowing up right now, and a huge part of his blow up is the support that he's gotten from LeBron James. So that was just a cool, interesting story to just kind of hear about LeBron's impact and influence in ways that we don't necessarily hear about often. You know, we obviously hear about what he does on the court, what he does in politics. We hear about what he does in school, but LeBron has a huge, huge, huge passion for music, especially hip hop in particular. He calls himself a hip hop historian. And so to be able to hear a story of LeBron essentially breaking this artist has, has been really dope. And I think it's something folks should go listen to. Um, and yeah, I'm on all those platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud. So go ahead, subscribe it, rate it, you know, give us a comment, give us feedback. And um, yeah, we're going to keep this thing rocking and rolling. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Javon, for joining me tonight. I really appreciated it. No problem. Glad to, ha- glad to have been here. <laughs>